Meet recovering alcoholic Arnold Ernst Tote. We are, we are not thirsty. He's got an eye for the ladies. We meet again for a night. And he loves to share his feelings. What shall we talk about? But when tensions flare and cultures clash. Americans, you're all the same. Always overdressing for the wrong occasions. And his true love's ex arrives on the scene unexpectedly. The man is nefarious. Tote decides to take her out for a night of intolerance she'll never forget. Let me show you what I am used to. Mr. Tote's Wild Ride. You'd be crazy to not see it on the big screen. June 23rd. Anyway, we'll see if... <laughs> <laughs> The few sound. He doesn't say a lot in that movie, so it was hard to find. I was like just listening to some sound clips. I was like, "Can I make that something?" So when we'll did see. you? When did you realize the not see, not see it, not see? When did that click? I just because that's as I, just wow. as I was. I, I don't know. In the in that's the best thing on the podcast so far in sixty five episodes. <laughs> Coming soon. This summer at theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. <laughs> oh, mercy. Welcome to episode 64 of Opening Weekend. I am Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week we travel back to November 13th, 1992, and the wide release of Bram Stoker's Dracula, starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, and Anthony Hopkins, and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and the limited release of the Disney animated classic Aladdin, starring Robin Williams in a showstopping vocal performance as the genie in the bottle but before we rub him the right way where were we all in november of 1992 well i believe that we were all rubbing each other the right way mm -hmm. we were in rehearsal for wild honey at the old hofstra university That's i was right. a junior which would have made you a senior dan yes. you would have been a sophomore i'm not a girl And if yeah. memory serves, we at Dan, you and I had just finished doing the Mad Woman of Shio. Actually, oh this was the order of performances I remember. And the one in the middle was the greatest. Yes. We did Mad Woman of Shio. We finished mm -hmm. doing that. Then we were starting rehearsals for Wild Honey. In mm -hmm. between that, for Halloween, we were the village people. Yes, you were. <laughs> we did the village oh, people, wow. and it was brilliant wow. and amazing. You were the biker with the yep. long mustache, so typecasting. You were the there, construction worker. And typecasting as me as the construction worker, yeah. very burly. And then wow. later we ended up reprising our village people act because we didn't just show, it was a Halloween party, mm. and we didn't just show up in costume. We actually. We lip synced to three of the songs we did in the Navy, YMCA, and Macho Man. We yep. had a whole performance. Yeah. yeah. And then we ended up reprising it later in the year for a lip sync contest. And we ended up winning like $500, which yeah, went on great. 
to subsidize a production of Orphans that Pete and I were doing, if you remember. We- yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, first of all, I would like my money back. Please give <laughs> I don't me know if it was $500. It might have been like $100. But at the time, it was like, what? No, first wow. of all, I remember the three songs, and you should have done two. That's, that was <laughs> overstaying your welcome to do three. <laughs> it's like a Halloween party. People are like, oh, did we, we didn't buy tickets to this. Come on, I would have rather seen us dance around to the village people than like people would get up there and do like little scenes. I know. That's what like, I would always on, do. Stop it. Stop it. That's what I always do. It was did. amazing. But oh, yeah, no, but then no. we were, we all were in rehearsal for Anton Chekhov's Rousing Wild Honey. Right. Right? Am I, am yes. I, am I making that yes. up? Yeah. Yes. There's a Michael Frain adaptation right. of a, a Chekhov play called Platonov. Is that Platonov? Yes. Yeah, Platonov. It, it, yeah. it was his, his unfinished or unpublished play that he like threw in the fire. And then after he was dead, someone discovered it in the ashes and was like, this looks like it could be something. And then Michael Frain made a thing out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Chekhov, mm-hmm. I think, rejected it during his lifetime. It was like, this is the worst thing I've ever written. And Michael Frain was like, yes, it is. Now I'll make it good. That's, and he made that's, it kind of good. That's today's culture, right? No, that's, uh, yeah. You know, anything like any, somebody puts to the side, they'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. No, J.K. Rowling. Let's see. What do you have? Three three notes from one night when you were drunk. We'll make an addendum. <laughs> three notes. <laughs> well, that's what it was. And, three and- things Harry Potter's scared of that aren't he who shall not be named. A three-page tome with exquisite illustrations. That will now be a Broadway show. That will now be three Broadway shows. Yeah, Jim Dale will read it. Sold. I've already bought it. I've, I've already ordered three on Amazon. You got to. You got to be. We're completists. Exactly. Anyway. Um, now, had you done, had you each done, spe- now this was the, Wild Honey was produced Spectrum. by the Spectrum Players, who was, that was an organization that was started by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, oh my God, right. you're right. I totally forgot. directed Dracula, which means we all directed Dracula. <laughs> but had you guys done a Spectrum Players show before? Yeah, you well, had we too. We did a Vida. We did a Vida. The year before. Oh my God, Evita. Well, you were in Evita. I was wow. just, under, I was playing drums or something that's, for her, right? That, yeah, that's, that's as much, I was in the chorus or the ensemble, whatever. Yeah, you were oh, in okay. it as much as I was. Yeah, um, right. And then- I think that's wow. the only Spectrum show I ever did. And then you did, you did Invisible People, Dan. So oh, that the was, Invisible that was, People. That was Spectrum. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, which we've discussed. The, and these were both Invisible People. And so you were like a Gabe Greeley mainstay. Gabe Greeley was a friend of ours yeah. uh, yes. from Hofstra. And he directed, He we've talked about this on the podcast before. He did the year prior. You were the Owen Wilson act- to his Wes Anderson. Very yeah. clear. <laughs> you were his muse. He did a theatrical <laughs> adaptation of the movie, The Emerald Forest. Uh, and Dan was right. the 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 elderly fruit salesman. Yes, Yomal, the, the fruit salesman Yomal. from whatever country it took place. Can in. you do yes. your lines real quick? I know you've done them on the podcast before, uh, but people are demanding it again. One of my yes, it went by popular demand. My most famous line was, "I love this place." And then the other, the <laughs> even more famous line was, "Fresh fruit." Those were my lines. It's <laughs> amazing. Did yeah. you not say fresh fruit? Fresh fruit and vegetables. What the fuck are you talking about? No, you don't it was know. only it was only fruit. It's no, only but you know fruit. what? There's a the, in in the yes. movie. It was fresh fruit and vegetables. For the theatrical adaptation, they they trimmed it down. It was the John Doyle version. They just they trimmed right, it right down. Right, right. Yeah, Michael Frayn. I all I, I don't yes. remember anything about the show other than we had 
a blast. I don't remember oh, what it was, it was about. Yeah. I don't remember our names. I remember there were a lot of hats, and I just remember having <laughs> so much fun and not caring about anything. It was just fun. You were my dad, Jason. Yes, and you. I remember you <gasps> having a little brown jacket, Fred, yeah. and I remember Dan oh. doing a scene where he's sitting up on railroad tracks. Yes, and right? I get hit. My character, I think, gets hit by a train at the <laughs> end of the first act. See, I, I totally forgot that you got hit by the train. I just remember you being like, yeah. and I was like an old colonel. I was Colonel Ivan Ivanovich Trilecki. Right. And you, were fall, you had narcolepsy, your character, or was drunk. Something. I don't fucking you were know. All always, we were all drunk. <laughs> we were all drunk thing. and we were all together. Yeah, like, right? Weren't yeah. we always and together? And you would just wander scenes? around. I remember Dan going, Anna Petrovna. <laughs> yes. Anna Petrovna. <laughs> yeah, because I was trying to I get remember. the money or something. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, and age makeup. My first, uh, my first of, of, my first of, I think I played, I think I got this number right, 240 six roles at Hofstra where I was in full age makeup because I somehow was the oldest looking freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. You're old. Oh, those days. That was a good year, junior year. It was, yeah. And, and my and, junior uh, year, I don't know about yours, but my, well, you, my junior year was really good. You mentioned, and, uh, um, Mad Woman of Shia, we had a blast on that too. And you were not in that one, Jason, because you were doing what now? I was, I did Italian American Reconciliation. Oh, right. And that yeah, was great too. Yeah, you were great too. in that. I loved it. I did props for Mad Woman of Shia. I was like the prop guy on Mad it. props, if I remember. Mad correctly. props <laughs> to you. <laughs> but, but what was the show after that? Was there a third? Yeah, it was Quilters. So that's why oh. men don't remember it because it was just, the, <laughs> it was the, the women's show. Men don't remember Quilters. Was in a line from a Bruce Willis movie? Yeah. And now I am. <laughs> and now I am. Quilters with a vengeance. And now I am remembering. <laughs> Quilters with a vengeance. And now I am remembering the production. Harrison Ford says that in Witness. And men don't remember quilters. Get over here. <laughs> Get make, over make here. your mark. <laughs> Get over here. That's great. That's some great Lawrence yeah. Kasdan dialogue. Quil hey, Quilters. get over here. <laughs> Quilters was great. Um, Mad Woman, I thought, was just brilliant. I do wish I had been in it. I, I mean, I loved Italian American. I went into that show kicking and screaming, man. I didn't want to do that really? at all. You guys were yeah. so funny. Well, because I, my heart was broken because of Italian American. You were hoping to be an Italian American. Yeah. I, I, Pete and I, I remember, it was so Dumb. I mean, it was great, but I, I guess in a way, but like that summer we had started reading the play together. Yeah, I remember. And I remember he was like, mm. he called me up. He's like, I'm going to play. He's like, I really want to play uh, Aldo. He, he play, oh, he, he, no, wanted, he to wanted to play the role that you played. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and you should look at this other role. So I remember we like, we, we took like excursions into little Italy and we like, we were trying to like live the roles, but I always remember huh. going to the audition. So I was like, I was so into it. I was convinced. I was not convinced, but I'm like, this is what I want to do the show with Pete. And we, and I remember Phyllis, uh, our beloved director, rest her soul. She, mm. you know, she brought everyone in and she was like, it was very much what, what Coppola does apparently at auditions where he brings everyone in and mixes mm -hmm. and matches people. Mm -hmm. And I always remember being in that black box. And, you know, scene after scene after scene. And as soon as you and Pete got up there, it was like, oh, that's it. That's it. Because you guys were brilliant together. And it was like, I, I was remember, I remember feeling so heartbroken, mm -hmm. not because you were doing it, but I was like, oh, well, <laughs> no one else can do this, this show. Like, that's it. So Aww. I guess I just have to like 
leave it there. And you guys were amazing. You were great in it. And then great. I also remember the excitement <laughs> of you, Dan, getting the role in Mad Woman of Shio. And I, cause you wanted that role. Yeah. The president, right? You were the president. Yeah. I remember who was played in the original production by who? I don't know. Carl Malden. No. Donald Pleasance. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Trump. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. Yes, who played the, who played the, for, in the workshop. <laughs> what, it was workshop. He was like, and then he wasn't good. And he said, <laughs> I'm going to go home and count my gold toilets and have revenge on you all. Revenge, I say. I'll be the president someday. I don't know. Nobody knew what he was talking about. Uh, uh, sorry. Well, Donald no, Pleasance I remember you wanted that role so badly, about. Dan. And I remember right. seeing, I remember seeing the cast list on the call board before you did. And I remember oh. I found you and I walked with you like giddily. I was like, so uh, we're going to go to the call board? You want to go to the call board? And I remember I was like oh. giddy oh. next to you. I was so excited. Oh. You're a good friend. Oh, that's that was lovely. the best. Looking at that. Going, uh, when, when it went your way, the memories of looking at the call board are the, they're the very best memories. when the casting is up. It's like that's that electric feeling of like looking up and seeing your name next to the part. What I do remember desire. is you're absolutely right. And what I what I remember about that experience um, was going into the Axon Library, the big old library. This is before the days of online e-books and things like that. Like you had to go in, go into the card catalog, find the book, go to the basement of the wherever and go and actually physically get it. And I did that. And I sat in the row, the aisle that I got the book from and sat down right there and read the play Mm. cover to cover and went, I like that part. Hmm. And, and, And I said, that sounds like fun. Oh, I know who Donald Pleasance is. He was in Halloween, you know, and, and like making these connections, yeah. you know, and then going to the, and the other thing I remember is going to the audition. And I think, um, I think if I remember correctly, what Dr. Mason had me do was do the role, do, do the audition again, but in French. Because, because. Do you speak it, French? Well, no, but you know, he had little little um, pieces of paper that had adjustments on them. And it was like a, a, oh, a, a, a like bowl, like, like an improv game. pick in like an, an adjustment. Game. Yeah. And mm. you would pick mm. in. So I don't remember if it said do it again, but in French or do it again, but in um, a foreign language, even oh, if you yeah. have to make one up or something like that. And so I had been taking That's French. So and so I did my best French and or m- mocked up French, you know, mucked up French as best as I could. And he, laughed and that was the end of that yeah i I, I hadn't remembered it until just this moment that's so amazing he's he's so brilliant yeah it was a great way to do a callback yes have a grab bag of adjustments i'm not going to give you one you pick one and it also tells you yeah well did you and it's not like was it like a game like you pick one and then you have to do it you picked one out and you have to do it right absolutely and he wanted to see whether you were going to and it yeah, tells you, it's like, it. I'm not saying you're going to do it this way or that I'm going to ask yeah. you. It's just to see you it, exactly what callbacks are about is like just yep. to see you play and see how elastic you are. It's so yes. good. That's to such play, a brilliant idea. I got to do that. Someday. It's a great idea. <laughs> Bring in a fishbowl of life and be like, we're not playing celebrity. We're <laughs> you're going to yeah. get I an adjustment. I remember it being like I a bowl it. or a fishbowl that you would draw your adjustment mm-hmm. out. I do the same. Whenever I'm directed, I do the same thing. But every thing in there just says do it but do it naked 
<laughs> do it, but do God. it topless. It's all, they're all the same. Bitey. And uh, hey, by the end, a- everyone's just naked and writhing. And I go, good. Now let's 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 do some trust exercises. <laughs> it's, I, I've gotten some great results. And they say, when are you actually casting the production? And you say, production? <laughs> what production are you referring to? This is your senior is year, right, Jason? Yes, this was so senior year. BMOC. Yeah, well... I was the BM, at least. Um, I, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I had OC, done. see BM. See, it all works out. Um, I had, yeah, I had done Italian-American Reconciliation and loved that. That was such a great play. You know, I, because I, I, you know, I, I think I had said this in the Moonstruck episode. Moonstruck was already one of my favorite movies that I had loved, you know, from when I saw it in high school. And, yes. And this is very Moonstruck, you know, it's it John is, Patrick yeah. Shanley's other famous examination of Italian American lives. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember, it's funny you say that you and Pete would go down to Little Italy over the summer. I do remember hearing the, those stories from you guys. And then we did go down like on like a, <laughs> I guess it was supposed to be a research trip. We went with Phyllis <laughs> and, and the cast. We went to uh, the San Gennaro festival oh, together. Okay. We went and like. Uh, of all things. Yeah, we went and just spent a day in Little Italy. And yeah, I remember being very upset because I had like lost 20 bucks at like one of these. Like, you know, you have so little money to begin with. And then you go and I you like play. That. So you go, I somehow oh, I so remember ups- that too, Fred. Probably because wow. I was so upset about it. Or, or did Pete also, I don't know if Pete, I don't think Pete no, won Pete money. He might have lost more. I think he lost yeah, like. Yeah, he lost some he money. He might have lost a three three card Monty or something. Yeah, because yeah, he, he kept. a three card Monty? That. Sounds That's right. Exactly to me. what it was. You yeah. guys got scammed, and Pete really got like sucked in. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah I totally he, remember that. And, he, and I think wow. he, he lost a lot more than I. Did. I think I was like, because I have this kind of thing. I, I, I'm not good with any of that. I won't even. I won't even buy a lottery ticket. Like I won't <laughs> think because I'm like I'm like I hate gambling. Money. I hate losing money for no good reason is what the way I think of it. I don't think about I like, it. I don't, I'm just kidding. I, no, but I mean, I don't, do, do you have fun going to Atlantic city or I that would sort of never sums do up it. This entire podcast. I would never <laughs> do just pouring money into it, just losing money for no good reason. But this is our, this is how we, we ease you gently into the concept of the paywall, which is coming. There's going to be things we're going to be like, I bet you'd love to hear us talk about this. Well, I think you're going to have to scratch your itch a little differently. Do, do it around back where your wallet is. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? No, love doing that show. The funny thing about that was I had to do like improv with the uh, audience at the top of the show. I had oh, like, yeah, I it was that. like some, there's stuff that's built in. He's got, he's got like stand up improv stuff kind of built into the script. It's like a whole speech where he's right. talking to the audience and interacting with the audience. But then there are opportunities to, you know, do a little bit of uh, work in the audience or whatever. Little and Pat Cooper. A little bit. And I remember... <laughs> This guy had a hat on and I said something about the hat and my hand went near the hat. And this old man was like, like almost fucking punched me. And he like got so enraged and shaking. And I was like, and so I had to like, then the whole show tipped because then I had to like manage this guy and apologize and like try to do it in character and then launch us into this romantic fable and i was like mm, don't never touch a person <laughs> that was, that was the, the, never even look like you're gonna touch a person in an audience 
you know, you get, you feel the audience out. You feel, do, do, do they want their hat touched? Are they 97? Probably I'm not. my hat. I'm breaking your breaking face. Your face. <laughs> Haven't you listened to Joe Dolce? What kind of Italian American are you? This is no reconciliation. Oh Listen, this whole improv, it's a whole new world for you. Oh. You never met a friend like me who's going to kick your ass. <laughs> Aladdin. Life is your restaurant and I'm your melody. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never had a friend like me. Yes, sir. We pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shah. Say what you wish. It's yours. True dish about a little more baklevah. As some are calling me, try all of column B. I'm in the mood to help you, dude. You ain't never had a friend like me. In this classic example of the 1990s Walt Disney animation renaissance, Aladdin is a lovable street urchin who meets Princess Jasmine, the beautiful daughter of a sultan. When Aladdin stumbles upon a magic oil lamp that unleashes a powerful, wisecracking, larger-than-life genie, played by Robin Williams, Aladdin asks to become a prince in order to win Jasmine's heart, but must soon embark on a dangerous mission to stop the evil sorcerer Jafar from overtaking the young princess's kingdom. Aladdin is one of the greats, fusing, if I do say so myself, fusing the storytelling genius of Disney with the electric irreverence of Warner Brothers cartoons. Aladdin has spawned straight-to-video sequels, a live-action remake starring Will Smith, and a Broadway musical, and was a stealth mega-hit, earning just $196,000 in its first weekend of limited release, but going on to earn a staggering half-billion dollars, $504 million to be exact, worldwide. Fred and Dan, what you guys think of Aladdin? I love this movie. I think that um, I hadn't seen it in a very long time. I had forgotten most of it. Uh, the voice work is great. The the I had forgotten. Hmm, the, I think the main thing that I had forgotten is that the 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 main sort of theme or message of this whole thing is. It seems to be uh, something that is so trite and so cliche and so hackneyed and yet works like gangbusters <laughs> here, which is be yourself. Yeah. Be yourself. Don't yeah. try to be something that you're not. And you go, oh, really? That's the <laughs> message? But it is and it works. Yeah. Because as soon as the kid starts being himself and being who he is – you know, things start <laughs> things start going in the correct direction. Mm -hmm. And that has ripples all the way through thematically, you know, throughout this thing. Jafar is being someone that he's not, you know, the Sultan is not who he is. When the Sultan is like, you know, am I the Sultan or am I not the Sultan? I can make the rules. He's being himself, you know, mm -hmm. Jasmine needs to be her true self and like not, you know, be confined to the to the to her uh, life in the palace and be the, the free person that she wants to be i mean it's all it's all about that and it's like i say it seems such a trite message but man it really just struck me yeah. so powerfully and and that means it's really about like self-esteem right you know and and, and or, or the 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 idea of that and uh um you know i had forgot all the beginning when he's running around and they call him again and again street rat street yeah. rat, street rat you know and there's a great deal of just 
shame associated with with his life. His poverty, yeah. That's yeah. right, with his poverty and, and all of that. So it was very powerful to me. Um, one of the things I do remember is you mentioned the Disney Renaissance, you know, the, at the movie theater where I worked. Yeah. We had um, uh, uh, Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. right? A few years before this, I forget how many years before. So it would have been the Three late years. 89. Because okay. it was Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and then this? Yeah. And then this. Yeah, that okay. was the order. That's right. And then Lion and King two years later. Oh, right. okay. So Lion King was the fourth one. So, um, you know, I remember working at the movie theater and sneaking in to see Little Mermaid again and again, and especially the end of Little Mermaid, and just tearing up over and over again mm-hmm. at how amazing and gorgeous. And I had never been the biggest Disney fan. No. Disney fan. I had seen Snow White and Bambi and Dumbo and stuff and been like, oh, cute Disney stuff. I wasn't the biggest fan. I was more of a Bugs Bunny, you know, Warner Brothers fan of those cartoons. Yeah. But when this renaissance started to happen, it was like you couldn't tear me away from anything Disney had was doing because because I was like, this is this is where this genre and this art form are headed. And uh, yeah, I think it kind of you know, hit a peak with Beauty and the Beast, hit another peak, a higher one, I think, to some degree with Lion King. And then they just kept upping the ante on this, what really is a, a formula, but man, it's a formula that that worked oh, yeah. uh, at this time, you know? So what did you think of it, Fredo? Yeah. I I mean, I didn't see it when it first came out. I, I, I wasn't. Well, what? Yeah, no, I, I remember, I think the first time I saw it was when you and I, when we were at Fort Salem, oh, or I think our oh. second summer there, I seem to remember watching it in that trailer that we were like <laughs> cat piss stained trailer, trailer that we were living in. Where so much great cinema was, was consumed. Yeah. I, that was the first time I saw it. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I'm finally watching this. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know what it was. I was, I, I remember seeing... I remember seeing Beauty and the Beast at Hofstra in the movie theater there. And I don't know. I wasn't that excited about this for some reason. Maybe mm. it was because I, I don't know what it was. I don't know. Maybe it was like that weird aversion that I mentioned about Robin Williams, you know, that we've said that like mm. sometimes like, is it too much? Which was interesting, too, because I didn't realize this was like the first animated movie, I think, where they actually used like a superstar. Like this sort of started a trend. Yeah. Like that was a big deal yeah. to Robin Williams. It was huge. It was huge. You know, they had never they, done something like that. I think you're which right. Is Robbie Benson, though. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Very true. Stand. We all stand corrected. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it was always like really, you know, like good voice actors, people yeah. who had done that. But like this right. was the first time where you thought, oh my god, it's like a mega. Hollywood superstar. Didn't they give him a special it? Oscar just for this? Didn't they like well, think it necessary right. to like be like wow. we have to award this? I think oh, maybe you're right. Robin Williams is, is is a cartoon character as it is, you know. Right. So to make him to do <laughs> all those shifts, it was it was interesting watching it though because my initial reaction when I first saw the movie and then rewatching it again was like, oh, this is perfect, you know, because he does. It's all the you know, the Robin Williams characters, you know, his the Robin Williams black guy, the Robin Williams gay guy, the right. Robin Williams surfer right. dude, the Robin Williams, you know, all these like outdated impersonations that yeah. know William no one. William F. Buckley shows up like twice in animation yeah. form. That's it. kind of my favorite thing is that oh, he's doing I, William F. Buckley in oh, the middle yeah. of this. Yeah. There are a few uh, provisos, a, a couple of quid pro quo. Uh, a master 
There are a few Ardenders. It's funny watching it this time. I still really enjoyed what he was doing, and I thought it was great and just, you know, brought me back. But I was thinking about something that you said when we did the superhero episode, just about animation. You're like, well, animation's easy. You can do anything animation. Hmm. And then I started to think of him in Good Morning Vietnam and thinking, actually, that's, like, this is great, but they obviously edited stuff. They can move stuff together. And for the first time, I was actually more in awe of Robin Williams just what he does as a human being, like seeing him just go, seeing him, you know, do right. his thing, yeah. just bam, 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 seeing the sweat, you know, pouring <laughs> yeah. down his face and just the thought process. So it was just interesting watching it now being like, oh, wow, I'm actually, uh, where, whereas before that sort of irked me about his stand-up performances. Right. I was never a fan of that when he'd go from voice to voice and all over the place. Yeah. Now watching an animation form, seeing how it's just a little cleaner, you know, you could almost like hear the edits between the clips and everything sometimes. Mm. I, not really. I mean, I'm not saying that you, you, you know, it's it's badly edited, but you could tell maybe where it was cleaned up. Just comparing that to the rawness of what he does in real life. It, uh, the movie aside, it just made me appreciate what he does more. Yeah. Hmm. All that being said, it's still great, and it it's like who else could you have gotten to have done that role? And it was it was it was mind blowing. I remember at the time watching it, and again, I watched it a couple of years afterwards. But I can imagine it it it's one of those things where you're like, well, of course, of course, you you make Robin Williams the animated genie. You know, it all. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. It, it seemed like such a crazy thing it, it, at the time. Robin Williams is doing a Disney, an animated right. Disney movie. <laughs> but no, of course, it, it worked perfectly. Well, Jeannie, I need help. All right, Sparky, here's the deal. If you want to court the little lady, you got to be a straight shooter. Do you got it? You know, I mean, he ended up having a whole big thing against Disney because even when he was doing it, he barely got, he, you know, he, didn't, he normally would get like, what, like six million, millions of dollars. He got practically scale for it yeah. because yeah. he oh. sort of said, he's like, I'm going to do it. Don't use me in the marketing. Don't use me in this. You know, I don't think out of embarrassment, but it was just sort of like, I think maybe they're friends or something. He's like, yeah, I'll help you out. So maybe even at the time, you know, it was just sort of like, it was a lend. It was, I'll, it's, it's a give. I'll give you oh, this. Yeah. Uh, wow. It'll be fun. I'll give it a try. And maybe he didn't even know because then sort of, you know, infamously afterwards, he got angry at Disney and there was like a beef between them because they did use him in everything. I don't know anything about this. I didn't know that. I remember that he got paid something kind of, uh, yeah, I remember that, that he was working for like, you know, No, there was a, because that's why he didn't. Because it was a cartoon again. Like this was like, people were not drawing checks like, you know, for that kind of work. You know what I mean? Now now it's like, it's like Michelle Pfeiffer. And you're like, she's getting her fucking paycheck. (laughs) That she would normally get for being on set for like, you know, showing up in her sweatpants to do a voice for something. I mean, I I don't know. I just pulled her name out. But just to say that, like every name actor you can think of has done at least one of these animated movies now. And And it's a marquee thing because it's a marquee thing because the name is like above the fucking title, uh, you know, and it's uh to, to what degree, you know, Robin Williams in Aladdin is perfection. There are a handful of others where you're like, oh, wow, to see, to hear that actor play that role would be, you know, such an experience. I got to go. But most of the time, it's just like Matt Damon, this one, everyone, everyone, there's no problem. everybody there, Titan, A, D, E, B, C, D, G. Who cares? Who the fuck cares? That's what it's become. 
where it's like, yes, of course, Sir Anthony Hopkins, you know, um, you know, it's whatever. It's like, who gives a shit? I can't speak. But at that time, it was very, very exciting and unusual. And yeah, and it's like... Uh, it wasn't a new thing to have voiceover artists, obviously, but it was a new thing to have big money in play. I think you're you're right. And and, yeah. and because this was the first example of that, you know, and I don't know, maybe it's because it was so big. Then he was like, oh, I really deserve more because my performance is driving the box office. Yeah. And I, you know what? I'm come to think of it. I might only know this. Maybe it wasn't as famous as I thought just because I read that Robin book that David Itzkoff wrote and it was in oh, there. Of course. Of you know, course. that he just didn't want, he sort of said like, you know, don't use me in the marketing. Don't, and I think it was because I think the idea was if you do, if you use me in all this, then I should get paid more. So just uh, don't, and then you can just pay okay. me this. And then they did use him in the marketing. Yeah. And so but think, how do you avoid oh, wow. that? Unless wow. unless the part was supposed to be much smaller, and then they and then they expanded it or cobbled together more, and then because my, apparently uh, they hmm. they did they just let him improvise, and you know <laughs> they they modeled everything around what he did. Can your friends do this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this? Out their little hat. Can your friends go? Oh, look at here. <laughs> Can your friends go abracadabra? Let it rip! And then make the sucker disappear. At about the 40 oh, yes. minute mark, hmm. we're going to have a big Broadway style show stopping. No, under the sea, be our guest. You really get kind of two in this friend like me and Prince Ali. Prince Ali is my you kind of get favorite. it again, you know, and that's a that's that's your favorite number. No, they uh, they oh. both are. I think they're equally amazing. Yeah. Friend like me and Prince Ali. In fact, Prince yeah, Ali is probably great. the one I think I, I think of more often. Heard your princess was a sight lovely to see. And that good people is why he got dolled up and dropped by. The sixty elephants from my store with his pears and lions and friends and more with his forty bakers and cooks and bakers and birds and water like this. Watching this, I, I really thought, wow, it's ticking all the Disney boxes. You know, you got like, the evil, the scary, evil villain. You got the, yeah. you know, the mortal peril. And you have all the talking animals, the which is a big kick, Disney yeah. thing. Yeah, the I side love kicks. Gilbert Gottfried in this. He's terrific. He's great. Mm -hmm. You got a problem, Piggy? The other thing that's really fun about this that is harkens back to the Walt, uh, the uh, the Warner Brothers stuff is, hmm. you know, not only do you have like, which is a very famous trope from the old Warner Brothers cartoons, like caricatures of movie stars you know in in the bugs bunny mm -hmm. cartoon stuff but this is the gotta be the first time ever that disney references itself you know there's the pinocchio yes. and little mermaid references like the actual characters which i had and that's great that's the <laughs> mad magazine hell's a poppin joe dante gremlins 2 vibe that uh -huh. you know <laughs> that i really really dig and uh and also you gotta say there's it's very funny to think like, like we said, oh, only Robin Williams could have done this. Only Robin Williams could have done this. And that's true. And then two years later, a whole new style of animation is, is coming to the fore. CGI and Jim Carrey with the mask. Like the only other example uh, I can think of, of a performer yeah. who is known as being an elastic performer yes. being enhanced 
by, by animation to that degree and where it feels totally organic, where it feels like a natural extension of the performer. That's why those two performances are so kind of iconic and successful, I think. Uh, whatever you think of the movies around them necessarily. I think Aladdin's a great movie. I think The Mask is a bad movie with a great, you know, fun comedic performance and great special effects. But um, so I'll Sheila that up if anybody's interested, <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting watching it. And it's also that it's, it's, uh, it's like old generation, new generation, meaning Robin Williams. That was the whole thing. We talked about it with Itzkoff and, and it's true. Like, you know, Robin Williams was feeling Jim Carrey on his tail in the nineties and, you know, and then in some ways mm. Jim Carrey surpassed him in some ways as a comedic force on screen. And then that's when Robin Williams started winning Oscars and stuff. So it's <laughs> fine. He went down his own path, but you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of funny, like very much the, the new that it was like Robin Williams was like putting his stamp on this old school animation at the, at the last get kind of last, not the last gasp of, of it, but now we're like, after Lion King, Toy Story is one year after Lion King. And that's when the CGI revolution starts, even though yeah. the 2D animation continues for quite some time. But it really starts to peter out and you don't have anything after Lion King. There's ne there's nothing as big as these first four of the Disney right. Renaissance, you know, and yeah. and I don't think that's there's a mistake that that coincides with Toy Story occurring in 1995. But, so you um, said Robin Williams in this, you said Jim Carrey in the mask. You wouldn't add Schwarzenegger in Junior to that list. Did they not animate his pregnant belly in that? I seem to remember there was some animation happening I'm there. Pregnant Danny DeVito. I'm pregnant in the Thompson command. Help should, me have my baby. Should the terminate it? Thank you. Oh, wow. Not in Texas. <laughs> you son of a bitch. And another thing, but another thing that just kept coming up, it, it was like you were saying in the beginning, you know, it's all about being yourself. And I'm watching this going, mm. yes, it's all about being yourself unless you're a person of color at the time you're of this movie. Right. And oh my gosh. it really suddenly hit me like, wow, yeah. wow, this is so whitewashed. Like there's not oh, God, one. Yeah single person of color doing any of the voices no. now at the time mm -hmm. that's what it was you know and i'm not i'm not saying that's good no but that's <sighs> the that was the culture at the time unfortunately yeah. and maybe just because of where we are now as a culture and seeing how you know they've you know what they've done with the Broadway show and how they've they've and representation you know, yeah yeah the rep it's visibility it, it yeah. was i just kept thinking about that. And, and, and also, mm. you know, because now you can watch a movie and be like, Oh, who's doing that voice and look it up and see the picture of the person. I'm like, wow, those are the whitest of the whitey, yeah, white, yeah, white, yeah. whites <laughs> playing those roles. And they're great. The voice actors, you're right, Dan, the, the voice acting across the board is fantastic in yeah. this. I will say I was surprised that Aladdin and, and Jasmine sounded quite as white. <laughs> Like, I did not, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't even detect any kind of, it was, it was very, you're right. It was very, uh, the voices didn't really match as, uh, they're good performances, yeah. but they didn't match the characters no. I was looking they, at. And it's the first time I noticed try. that. They didn't even try. They didn't even try to find some, like, I get, you know, from everything that I've read, you know, the genie was written, they wanted like a big Cap Calloway you know, type thing, mm -hmm. but they wrote it for Robin Williams. So I get it. He's the biggest star, you know, he's a huge star at the time, but it, mm -hmm. it did strike me. I was like, wow, they didn't even try right. to get anyone. This is to me, 
what what struck me too about this, and again, I'm, I I feel like I've been nitpicking. I really enjoy it. It's very also obvious to me that they said, okay, we have, and this isn't a bad thing, I don't think. They said, all right, we had the Little Mermaid, we had Beauty and the Beast. We have to do something that's geared more towards boys now. You know, we had the the the, oh, the princesses. Okay. Let's yeah. do, yeah. Um, which is also why I think. Uh, Disney theatricals was like, let's do Aladdin. I mean, it lends itself to being a Broadway musical. Yes. It, better than like, say the Lion King would, you know, <laughs> just on paper. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was, all right, we got, we've got the little girls. We got to get the boys. Yeah. That's funny. Aladdin, you know, so it's very, so even in that yeah. Mad Magazine, Hell's a Poppin' thing you were talking about, yeah, that's you know, not to say that girls don't like you know, that crazy no, stuff. The irreverence is, yeah, is, is yeah. boyish, like kinetic. I can't get that energy out of my system, you know, like exactly. a kid on a playground kind of energy. Yeah, yeah. That's what it seemed yeah. like that they were going, that they, they were going that way. Um, and then I yeah, had and it's not thought. called princess Jasmine, Jasmine's adventure or <laughs> Aladdin and Jasmine, you know what I mean? Or Mr. Or the- Tote's wild ride <laughs> for that Which matter. Young ladies are. You know, drawn to. They're, um, they're melting for it. Wait a minute. Oh, no. Uh, this is my favorite of the uh, Disney Renaissance movies. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Is it? And I, of those big four, I think the prestige ones are seen as Beauty and the Beast and Lion King for all sorts of mm-hmm. reasons. They're the classy ones. My favorites have always been Aladdin and Little Mermaid. Those are my top two. I like Little Mermaid so Because I like the humor. I mean, the humor is in all four of those movies, but there is something like, and again, now was Lion King nominated for the Oscar as well for Best Picture? I don't remember if it was. Uh, Maybe that was a more competitive year, but but everybody talked about it like it was going to be. I wasn't a fan of the Lion King. I wasn't either. Mm. That was my least favorite of them. It it left me a little cold. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Well. Fred's looking for a job, everybody. Please <laughs> know if you know the anybody. Movie, the Broadway who's show's there. amazing. <laughs> it is. The Broadway it is. show's incredible, um, especially. But yes, no, I, 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 there's a similar thing. Had a different vibe. There's something about Little Mermaid and Aladdin feel scrappier, a little funnier, yeah. a little less reverent. Right. And uh, even though there's great humor, like Gaston in Beauty and the Beast is amazing. And there's so much great comedy from uh, Timon and Pumbaa in, uh, in Lion King. But I don't yes. know. There's like something about the balance. And that's probably also calculated. Like, here's a slightly sillier one. Here's a more, you know, like, wow, look at the ballroom scene. And, you know, I mean, they, yes. they, because even the style of Aladdin's animation it feels like it doesn't feel as 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 sumptuous as Beauty and the Beast, except in certain right. moments, you know. In a different but, uh, way, yeah. Again, it's that Hirschfeld thing. It's like a lie. It's it's yeah, quick. Right. Boom. Let's get let's caricatures. Let's do it quick. Yeah. Let's move it. You know, keep it fun. Fast and, and light. funny. Yeah, yeah. I do want to make mention of uh, Jonathan Freeman, who plays Jafar who's one of the great villains and he was he was a Broadway guy and he's doing Jafar he still plays Jafar on Broadway wait 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 you mean the actor who does the voice in the movie yes. is on Broadway doing Jafar yeah <gasps> he originated it no on idea. Broadway and has been playing it since day one that's yeah. crazy I did not know that I know our friend from Hofstra Dennis Stowe Dennis is Stowe, Jafar's yeah. understudy or one of the, the covers for Jafar but I did not realize that the guy who does the voice in the cartoon does yeah. it on Broadway. That's Which awesome. Which I always thought was so cool because wow. Jonathan Freeman was, yeah, he did the voice of Jafar. And I'd seen him around that 
time or maybe afterwards. He's he's like a Broadway mainstay. I saw him in How to Succeed in Business without really trying. He was in uh, 42nd Street. He's, I I remember I used to see him at auditions all the time, like voiceover things. I was like, oh my God, that's Jonathan Freeman. Uh, And he's just like, not just like, but he's, you know, he's a working theater actor and he did this and he's amazing. And then, yeah, when they brought it back to Broadway, uh, you know, I don't know if they went to him or if he came to them, but it, it, he's, yeah, he's playing. And I just think wow. that's so cool. That's wow. really cool. I, I had no idea. That's I didn't know awesome. that either. Excellent work, Iago. Ah, go on. No, really, on a scale of one to ten, you are an eleven. Sheila? Is it a I'm whole new world for you, Sheila? to give this movie eight Sheilas. Eight, I say. I'm going to meet you there. I'll give it an eight. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going nine. I Don't love Aladdin. I love Aladdin. And it is still my favorite of the, uh, of the, of that, that period of Disney um, uh, movies, along with Little Mermaid and Hunchback of Notre Dame. I fucking love. I've seen that one. Rave about that one. Yeah. I've never seen it. I, yeah. oh, it's, it'll blow your socks off because, because you're, that's where Disney starts saying, Okay, now we're going to start messing around, in, you know, and get more adult with it. Ah, the French. No, love all these movies, but Aladdin is still, it's like, it's the warm spot in my heart. Wow. So, and is, that your, is Aladdin your favorite all-time Disney? Mm, like even classic Disney, even going yes, all the I way th- back? I'd, I'd say so, because I, I don't have the same affinity for the, I, yeah. I can't think of one of the older ones that I... I mean, maybe Dumbo, but I, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of them in a long time. I've mm. seen the Renaissance ones, you know, more recently. More yeah. I, I don't know if I've watched it. How about you? What's your favorite? I have always been partial to Lady and the Tramp. I oh, love yeah. That. That's oh, great. Yeah. That's so much. But yeah, of the, <laughs> of the like, new hmm. ones, it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always I, remember loving Robin Hood. And then I remember uh, rewatching yeah. that in that same uh, cat piss stained trailer, <laughs> Fort Salem. And Kate loves being like that. a little underwhelmed by it. But as a kid, it was my my favorite. Oh, uh, yeah. Good. And I love that. Was uh, the one. That's Kate Kayla and I both love Peter Pan. We just absolutely oh, yeah, just that's gorgeous. go crazy that's gorgeous. for that. It's so beautiful. And that's my mom's favorite. Yeah, they, they're it? all beautiful. They're all so yeah. much fun to watch. And they all have, you know, that's that's another thing. I think of 101 Dalmatians, and that has a very distinct visual style, too. That, it's like, that it's not too. just yeah. all, and maybe it's the, the different eras. You know, that movie's like yes. the 60s. There was a thing going on in the animation of that yeah. era that is... Something about the the angles and the lines and the colors and, uh, you know, so sometimes it's hard to tell, like, what is is of the certain era that it was made in, you know, the time mm-hmm. or that the animation is responding to something specific in the in the story or in the, you know, yeah. the nature of that particular film. Favorites, which is the one that you would travel over oceans of time to see, though? For me, it would be the animated Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. <laughs> animated would accents. be good. <laughs> if they were animated, 
we'd be having a very different conversation. <laughs> Ham strokers. Sorry. Bram Stokers. Draculia. I like the way they say it. Draculia. What the fuck is that? Draculia. Uh, oh, we're going to make this seem like this is a movie about something. So, uh, Draculia. Oh. oh, this is a very, uh, very, uh, very accurate accent. Draculia. Fuck out of here. It's Count Dracula. From your, from your cereal box. Oh, that's Chocula. Anyway, <laughs> Gary Oldman is Count Chocula. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, everybody. Look, it's 9.23 in the morning. <laughs> One bad accent. Two bad accents. Three bad accents. Gary Oldman is Count Dracula, a 15th century prince who is condemned to live off the blood of the living for eternity. Young lawyer Jonathan Harker, played by Keanu Reeves, is sent to Dracula's castle to finalize a land deal. But when the Count sees a photo of Harker's fiancée, Mina, played by Winona Ryder, the spitting image of his dead wife, he imprisons Harker and sets off for London to track Mina down. Meanwhile, Anthony Hopkins is in hot pursuit of the creature as Van Helsing. Also starring Carrie Elways, Tom Waits, Sadie Frost, and Monica Bellucci, Bram Stoker's Dracula features amazing production design by Dante Ferretti and Thomas Sanders, gorgeous cinematography by Michael Ballhaus, and an incredible score by Wojciech Kilar. And some sloppy, sexist, over-the-top writing and direction by James Hart and Francis Ford Coppola. Hofstra, we teach success. Draculia was a hit, earning $30.5 million over its opening weekend on its way to a domestic box office of $82.5 million in a worldwide haul of two hundred and fifteen point eight million dollars. Dan, what did you think of Hamstrokers? Dracul. Uh, Ten Sheilas oh, for that intro. Uh, Ten oh, Sheilas. Thank you. Good night, folks. Did you become Joe Dolce at one moment? I, did, I became them all. I tried wow. to. I was. I was trying to. Uh, you know, um, uh, summon the uh, Robin Williams spirit of, right. of, of molecular transformation. <laughs> Good for you. Well, I gotta say that's what you were doing, and what he does is very much what I think. Francis Ford. Is it Coppola or Coppola? I've always said Coppola. I always say then Coppola. I hear people say Coppola. Let's go with Coppola. Yeah, I like Coppola. Okay, Franny, yeah. you're Coppola. On this podcast, you're Franny Coppola. You've been yeah. Coppola. <laughs> I think that's what Coppola is doing with this movie. I yeah. think this movie, you guys are going to laugh at me. You're going to yell at me. You're going to throw shit at me. I think it's sort of brilliant. Let's get this out of the way. Keanu Reeves gives possibly 
arguably the worst performance ever committed to celluloid. I have offended you with my ignorance. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Sort of. Kind of. I guess. I don't know. I, I think people have like, I think he's a great person. I think he's, for everything, he seems like a great guy. Yeah. I think suddenly this thing has turned where people are like, no, he's really good. He's not. He's, 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 when is Keanu Reeves given a good performance? And I don't mean to badmouth any actor because I fucking blow, but he, it's, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting off track. <laughs> Cut that. No, no. He's not very good in this movie. I've seen many strange things already. Okay, let's put it that way. Other than that, and even in a weird way, that sort of fits the movie. I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there. I remember seeing an opening night. Were you? Oh, no. Did we go together? Were you there, Dan? I remember I a bunch so, of Fred. us hopping in my Ford Probe and going to see it. And we saw it closer to my home on Long Island. I don't remember. Yeah. The, we saw it in one of the theaters that I used to go to as a kid, either in Port Washington or Great Neck. Did G and Petro I, go with you guys? Because I remember Wild Honey rehearsal the day after it opened and yeah. that G and Petro talking about it and several people in the cast and company talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I remember we were in Emily Lowe. It was like a Saturday morning and people were talking about having seen the movie the night before. I did not see it until video. So I was not with you on this trip. Yeah, uh, we uh, went. I remember Tara Sands there and I feel like Julie Smith and it was a few of mm -hmm. us went, mm -hmm. like I said, a little further out in Long Island, closer to where, where my house, because I remember we went to my house afterwards for some reason, but I think we were excited because it was, it was, uh, Coppola, it was, uh, or Coppola, it was, uh, I have offended you with my ignorance. This was Gary Oldman's like first big movie. Like he, like we all knew him from like Sid and Nancy and prick up your ears and like yeah. all the like, Lee Harvey Oswald and, and JFK. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but this still, was, this was his first like lead in a, in a major studio movie. I yeah. think, I think and it, it was mm. sort of controversial. It just in the sense that like, really Gary Oldman, weird looking Gary Oldman is playing this, <laughs> yeah. you know, sort of sexy, at least the way they were portraying it in the trailers, like this, you know, sexy creature of the night. But so we were really excited. And I remember walking out of that theater and raving and being like, oh my God, I was so impressed by, for better or for worse, and I can see why people would not like this about the movie. It's like Coppola has just taken every style and, and film technique imaginable and being like, I'm going to try this bleh, and throwing it out there. Yeah. And it just keeps zigging and zagging. And now watching it, I see that what he's doing also is he's paying homage to all the old school horror movies, Nosferatu, yeah, sure. you know, like, yeah. you know, the, 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 all the shadow effects, which I love, like yeah. that straight out of Nosferatu. But it's really him playing around with style and technique and you know, I love that there's no computer generated animation. It's all in camera stuff. And it was just at the time and still now, I, there's something I really appreciate about that. It's, um, it's so, it, it there's something experimental about it. Yeah. And he sort of does that. Like I was thinking about it. Like I think about movies of his and especially the ones that I really love, like Rumblefish how he did that, how it's all sort of black and white and like French noir, even the outsiders. There's a, there's definitely like a style to that apocalypse now, obviously, but out of all of those directors that 
came out of that, you know, his group, like Coppola and, and uh, Scorsese and Spielberg and Lucas, he, he definitely skews towards more, I guess, theatrical and experimental. He plays around with the styles in a more bombastic way. Maybe there's something very operatic about this movie. Yes. I know he's a big opera buff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it's over the top. It's like grand Guignol, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. You know, uh, it's and 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 to me, I really like that about it. I like that it's just over the top, banging you over the head with it, just having fun, you know. And it's campy. It's really campy. Yeah, yeah. And they're all having fun. And like, I remember the time thinking, I was like, what the fuck is Anthony Hopkins doing? I still don't know if I know what he's doing. I don't know either. Was she in great pain? Yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and drove a stick to her heart and burned it, and then she found peace. Doctor! But it just looks like he's having fun, and everyone's just, like, playing around. I remember a couple years, actually, maybe a year or two later... My friend Bill Muir had this on Bluetooth. Not Bluetooth. Um, <laughs> I have offended you with my ignorance. Bluetooth. <laughs> Laser disc. I was thinking like, I was like, not DVD, not Blu-ray. <laughs> it was on Laserdisc. He had it in his tooth. <laughs> it was a bad tooth. It needed to come out. It was blue. <laughs> but I remember watching it at his house and it was the, D- not the DVD, the, the Laserdisc. Laser extras, which you can now watch. And I rewatched yesterday on YouTube. There's a great behind the scenes documentary. If you've never seen it, I recommend it because it really, it, it does key you in to what they were doing. And Anthony Hopkins says, he goes, you know, he's talking about Gary Oldman and now Gary Oldman was very sort of tortured and he was, you know, he was, he, he was drinking at the time and there, there's a great shot of Gary Oldman in the old age makeup and he's got like a bottle of champagne in front of him and he's singing <laughs> Sinatra. Oh, yes. Um, oh, and, my God. And, and Hopkins says, he's like, you know, he, he was me. He was, you know, I see, I see, you know, and, and, and Oldman, I see me when I was younger and I, I wanted to fight all the time. I still want to fight. But now I just, I've gotten older and I realize, well, you know, what's the point? Let's just have fun. You know, just hmm. you know, just throw it all out. And you see that. You see that in his performance set. He's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Let's just try this. Yeah. And what's also cool is in that DVD, and I know we're talking about the movie. We're not talking about the behind the scenes. But you see, you know, the process and how Coppola brings them all together and they rehearse for a while and they play around and they rewrite things and sort of like loosey-goosey. And it, if if you haven't seen it, I recommend watching just the behind the scenes stuff because it's, it's a lot of fun. That being said... I would also recommend very much so watching Dracula because I think it's a lot of fun and crazy and it's hit or miss. Like I said, I mean, Keanu Reeves' accent and performance is awful. Winona Ryder's accent is pretty bad. <laughs> Gary Oldman's accent is, huh? What? It's like 12 accents it. though, right? I know. It's, like, it's a lot of but, different. And uh, multiple guises. I think it's so interesting how how many different looks he has and how, you know, from, from the monstrous to the just and to the truly bizarre. He never has a normal look in this movie, but they're very bold, (laughs) bold, bold expressions. Definitely. Definitely. I just think it's, it's, I think it's a lot of fun and it feels like a horror movie, like an old school 
horror movie? Is it like it looks like one of the Hammer horror movies too? Some of the like stuff where you're like, oh, this is clearly on a soundstage, like them riding horses through the snow. It's like this is not outside anywhere. It it has that kind of you know torches by the crypt kind of like Christopher Lee feel to some of it too, which works too because in, in in this documentary, Coppola also says that you know he was known for going over budget and going over time with Apocalypse Now and places in the heart. And he and he says he's like I didn't want to do that. He's like, I wanted to show people that I can just do, I can do a a, a big hit movie on time, get it in on time and under budget. <laughs> so he did it all on sets. But that also, I think, really plays into what you were saying yeah, and makes it, it, it just, mm-hmm. it lends it, yeah, it gives it that feel that it needs. So I, yeah, I love it. I just find the whole, the whole movie's like gleefully off center in this weird way. Yeah. But I I can see why people would also hate it for all those reasons. Yeah. And and that's, (laughs) you're exactly right. And that's me. (laughs) You won the contest. Well, no, and I have, no, no, I have very mixed feelings about it for those reasons. There are things that, that you're exactly right, Fred, that are so bold and such big swings and broad strokes. And there are moments that feel like Nosferatu. There are moments that feel like the old, uh, um, you know, Bella Lugosi version. I watched a couple of the Hammer uh, ones fairly recently because they're on the HBO Max uh, mm-hmm. with Christopher Lee. They all have Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, or both. Yeah. Um, and they're fun. One's called Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Another's called Horror of Dracula. And there's a third one that's really crazy called Dracula AD 1972 or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've heard of that one. Yeah. And they're all nuts. And I've seen a bunch of the others, uh, the other versions as well um, uh, over the years. And, you know, this one, I don't, I've never read the novel. I don't know how closely this hues to the novel. I, 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 I'm really not sure about that. I kind of, you know, if you're going to call it Bram Stoker's Dracula, one would think that you're hewing pretty closely to it, but I don't know that this, that this does, um, uh, all that much. Do you know and why I, they named it that though? Because Why? I thought that meant that this was a more faithful adaptation. That's and, what I assumed And, and because, always. and, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, uh, mm-hmm. my wife is a playwright, Kate Hamill. She has, yeah. I, I, she has done a Dracula adaptation that ran off Broadway last year and is, or before the pandemic. And when they were getting married, it's going to be, yeah. And it's going to be the, um, it's going to be at Actors Theater of Louisville next year. It's taking mm. over for the, they've had a Dracula for like 20, 30 years that they do every Halloween season. And <laughs> and they're changing over to her adaptation next year. It's, cool. I think it's really, really, it's really, really good. It's very, like all of her work, very staunchly feminist. So it's a great twist on things. Um, but I don't know how much of a, uh, how much it's necessarily a twist on things. It's a twist on the perception of, of Dracula. But, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, so she obviously read the the novel and was, you know, made choices about what to hew closely to and whatnot. And we were watching it together and, you know, there were certain things she was like, yeah, that's from the novel. That's from the novel. She's like, this is uh, all of this is absolutely not. This whole uh, relationship is different. The way the, the women are portrayed, it's all wildly different, but the, reason it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I thought this as, as the movie started, I was like, oh, I put the wrong movie on because it, I was like, it should be universal. That's the universal horror movies. This is Columbia Pictures. And the only way they could do it is if they called it Bram Stoker's Dracula because Goodness Universal sake. owns the rights to Dracula. If you call something Dracula, 
<laughs> so it the funny thing is they have be. to say it's the more the pure huh. like you know based on the original or based on another another version of dracula than something? our codified universal monster movie dracula right. which is fine because that's what they're doing you know he never has the he doesn't look like Bella Lugosi or Frank Langella or, you know, he doesn't have the, right, the black yeah. pointy cape or whatever, you know, so <laughs> uh, uh, that's fine. But that's the thing. It's so it's a little misleading because it makes it sound like it, it it's a pure retelling. Uh, and I yeah. don't think it necessarily is, although I couldn't tell you how much lines up Kate could. But you know what I mean? I but, think they started so in that again. I keep going back to this documentary, but. I thought it was fascinating because they start, he, they, he brings the whole cast together. They read the entire book together. Ooh. They just do a reading of the That's book. That's cool. Hmm. And, and Coppola's like, look, anything you see in the book that you want to add, let's put it in. But then through this, you also see that it starts to get off track, that like people are <laughs> sure. adding stuff and it starts, I mean, he makes a joke. He's like something like everyone's roles, you know, became so much bigger. Um, right, and right, so right. I think that's, I think it did it might, it might have started much more faithful and then, got away. And then it became something else. Well, I like crazy. the fact that, um, you know, th th that, I mean, it's, it's so interesting what you're saying, Jason, about Kate is going, that's from it. That's not, this is, that isn't, you know, I, I'm curious as to what is, but to your points, Fred, I, I also kind of don't want to know and don't, and don't care because I, 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 I enjoy the fact that, that Coppola is taking, big swings yeah. with this and not just stylistically, but with, and I don't know if this is from the novel, but the fact that really at its heart, at its center, at the depth of this, this is a love story. Mm -hmm. And I like that about this version. And you don't get that very much in the other version, in any of the ones that I, that I mentioned, it's really more of a horror story about a creature that we need to, you know, um, keep away from and and ultimately hunt and kill. This is about because you get his origin story. They connect it to Vlad the Impaler, which he looks like that famous picture of Vlad the Impaler at several points in this movie. Yeah. So they connect, I love that opening scene. Yeah, they connect it, like, it to that. Oh God. It's very strange, those opening scenes, but very, very, you know, and, and the, the constant connection back to um, the fact that this is just a guy who who is um, who was so pained and hurt and messed up over the fact that he lost his love and he's just raging against God and against Jesus. And, you know, obviously it 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 uh, rounds it's that whole story rounds itself off, rounds itself out at the very end with spoiler alert, her chopping his head off, mm -hmm. which I totally forgot that. That's how it ends. And I was like, oh, my God. And that wound up being pretty powerful to me. All of that being said, there are mountains of things to me in this that don't work. <laughs> and one of the biggest ones is what is the reasoning behind all of the different forms he takes? Why be a bat? If you can be a mist, <laughs> if you can fly <laughs> around, what is the purpose of being a bat? In every other version, it's so that he can fly into or out of a window easily. This, is, but he's also a foggy green mist, which can really go anywhere and be anything at any time. So there's no reason for him to be a bat in the scene where he's a bat. You know what I mean? There's parts. Well, I'll tell you, they. I'll, I know why they made their in the documentary. Go ahead. 
because I don't think he was originally supposed to be in that outfit. The impression I get, there's a, there's a great scene where Oldman and Coppola are battling each other because they're rehearsing it. And Coppola and Oldman's like, why am I so scary? Why are they so scared of me? This doesn't make, I don't feel it. So they come up with the idea to make him, you know, okay. this so terrifying. It's, just to it's like when Marlon Brando wanted to be a green suitcase. And he was like, he was like I just, I, why am I here? What am I doing? Why, why don't you just pay me a check? Just give me the check now, and I'm sure I'll show up on the day. Eventually. Eventually. Put a bucket um, on Gary Oldman's head, put some ice in it, call it a day. I, I That's think, scary enough. I think it's interesting that, uh, not to go, uh, uh, please continue with what you're saying, Dan, but I do think nope. that part of it is, I do think it's interesting that he has so many forms. Yeah, I wish so. I wish there was, and you're right, It play the movie plays with so many styles, but it's such a fucking mishmash of everything. Mm-hmm. I wish it was more like, more schisms. If you were going to say like Dracula is so many things or so many people or can come in so many forms that right. that each different look should coincide with a, a wildly different technique Purpose. in filming or a setting or a color yeah. scheme or something okay. where you're like, it's like fractures of a mirror. That would be a cool thing. That's what it feels yeah. like a little bit, but then it, but not. I actually but, think it does sort of do that because mm-hmm. when it gets to, when he does get to London, and they're talking about the um, what is it, the cinema, the the cinematograph, cinematograph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the cinematograph. They're like, look at. It. There's something very like suddenly he's like, you know, there he's he's in like downtown London, and he's he's got that cool like Victorian, almost like rock star look about him, you know. And when they're in Transylvania, it's it's such a distinct look about him there. Uh, it's it's like this. That crazy hammer horror look. I don't know what's going on with his hair, but, but I, I see it, what but, you're but saying. Dan's right. It's like, like why ever that. get old? Why ever look old? Why ever look this? Why ever be a bat? Why ever be disgusting? Why be a wolf? Why be a monster? If you can always be, uh, you know, a rock star, because that's what he looks like it's most like of the time. Just like, be yourself. <laughs> yeah. Be yourself, Gary Oldman, for God's sake, for once. No, but I think what they're trying to do early in the movie, and again, this is a, a, a thread that unravels here, is when he's weak... He looks like this when Mm. he's strong. He looks like this, but there's not a heck of a lot of rhyme or reason to when he's weak, when he's strong, when he has to be a beast, when he has to be a mist, an old man, a a half beast, a full, (laughs) a full wolf, a half wolf, a fucking make up your goddamn mind of when you're going to be what you're going to be. Did Dr. Merlot direct this movie? Well, it seems like it comes when he's got the, when he's, when he's feasting, when he's got blood, when he's got that lust. That's when, like, think about it. He's the wolf when he's with uh, Lucy. Right. He's the bat. Which is crazy. I remember seeing that in the theater with you. Yeah. That, that is the one memory I have of, like, we were all there together. And in his full head-to-toe wolf form, he's mounting her on the slab outside. And we were yeah. all like, what is happening? Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary, boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. As I'm thinking about it, I think it sort of does tie in when he's, yeah, he, he's, I mean, he's, this is going to sound sort of trite and cheesy, but he's, he's at his strongest when he's around his love when, mm. or when, and he's at yeah, his okay. beastliest yeah. when he's feeding. And it's almost like me, I don't know, maybe that's the punishment bestowed on him that he's got to, you know, when he renounces God and he, you know, becomes this beast, that's what it is. Like he is. Mm. Because that that opening sequence, I just think it's fucking savage, and the way he plays it 
Garrett Oldman. Yeah. Like I remember seeing him in the theater and being shocked. I was like, whoa, he's fucking going for it. Yeah. And it felt dangerous and savage and, and just, you know, it, everything that couple was doing, uh, you know, filmically seemed to, 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 uh, to back up what Oldman was doing, you know, as an actor, just it all, it was like, it, it was, it just, it was an assault. And so maybe that's what it is that when, at his, at his worst, because of that, because of what he's gone against, this is who he is. You know, he is, he is this beast now. Yeah. Um, and then it can only be tamed by, you know, this long lost love that he's been, you know, traveling over oceans of time, as he says. Carrie Elways. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Carrie Elways should have played the Keanu Reeves role. No question. No question about it. He should play every Keanu Reeves role. Yeah, Go Carrie ahead, always was no. Carrie always was great and really, uh, really enjoyed him in it. Actually, um, yeah. yeah, Keanu Me Reeves too. is ridiculous. But as it's going on, <laughs> but as it's going on, what I was thinking is, oh, he's perfect casting because he looks and feels dumb as a rock, and that's what yes. needs to happen because any other rational thinking three-dimensional human being would be like what the fuck is going on excuse me excuse me i'm leaving that's right what is going on with your head screaming at a moment in that house yeah yeah, you would never stay so it actually his his dopitude really (laughs) is the only thing that can possibly sell (laughs) those scenes um yeah or his gray hair in the final scenes, which is hilarious because nothing yeah, about him is aged it's, except it's, for his hair. Yeah, it's, it's Colonel Ivan Ivanovich Trilecki's uh, hair from Wild Honey. Um, now, I don't want to, I don't, again, I don't want to keep Keanu bashing, but. I know where the bastard sleeps. I've seen many strange things already. I have offended you with my ignorance. Party on, dudes! When I watched <laughs> yes. the Laserdisc, they had one thing on it which I thought was so cool. It was edit your own Dracula scene. And it had all the outtakes from a scene. And you can move them around and edit. You, I don't know how they did it. It was really cool. Like, I don't remember if it was on his computer or you chose it. I don't know how they were able to do it. You could edit the different shots together to create this scene. So it was a scene between him and Winona Ryder. And they show the final scene. And then they show all the outtakes. And the final scene in the movie, which is awful, mm-hmm. was still his best take. <laughs> that, I always remember that being like, oh my God. Because you think, well, you know, someone's performance could be made to look bad through editing. No, that was the best take. Oh, God. Continue. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is the, the, this, love this, you, lo- this love story between me and Dracula is not from the original. There is no, there is no like my great okay. love across time. That's all a construct for the movie, which is uh-huh. fine. But to me, it plays like a very weak cover for an, a hideously sexist and and exploitative movie. This is more to me Paul Verhoeven's Dracula than <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. Every woman, except Winona Ryder, who's a big enough name, has at least one to two breasts out at any given moment. Uh, it's yes, all, go on. It's just pure. It's it's <laughs> you've pure, got Fred interested. It's just it's it's very very. It's very rapey. It's very exploitative. I, and that's not necessarily Dracula. Mm. I think people would be like, oh, that's Dracula. That's Dracula. From what, and I only know this because my wife knows a little bit of the history. The original story of Dracula, first of all, is actually more of a homo- homoerotic parable. Um, mm. 
between uh, Dracula and Jonathan Harker and 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 Bram Stoker's novel is based on uh, a novel or a story that's actually a, a, a totally female centered piece called Camilla, which is about a, a lesbian vampire uh, and 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 a relationship that's a, a female relationship. So it's not it's not uh, it's not necessarily part and parcel, certainly obsession. Uh, there is sexuality in, involved, obviously, but I, I don't know. But I found it about very... a lesbian relationship between chickens owned by Gonzo, <laughs> Gonzo the Great. <laughs> yeah. um, that's coming to Disney Plus this I this December. Over oceans of time. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's interesting. It's like what, it, but it's like what a lot of movies do. Like, well, let's make it about we'll we'll enhance the love story. And sometimes there's a love story that's there, and sometimes there's not. And I think you know Dracula's need for a, a, a bride or something for you know like to yes. to keep himself living you know is has been kind of subverted into this grand love story that i don't buy mm. at all I, they have no <laughs> chemistry everybody who touches her is way too old for her in this movie <laughs> anthony hopkins meets her and the first thing he does is takes her arms and spreads them out so he can it's look at her chest flawed. and and it kind of yeah. it's very weird it's very creepy how he approaches her and introduces himself to her i have been in this business 52 years and I will I've never seen anything like this and reality is the situation and I I can't speak that aside I think the first half hour is pretty great I love all the stylistic stuff I love how this movie looks I love yeah. all the the makeup is amazing. The costume, that, that the old art age direction. makeup is incredible. It's incredible. It's better than his fucking Win, uh, fucking Winston Churchill makeup from two years ago. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy how good it is. It's I love all. I love that it's. I love when it's schlocky. I love when it's state of the art. I love the shadow puppetry. I love the fucking incredible. Uh, muscle armor of Vlad the Impaler, where it's it just it looks yes. like it looks like Slim Goodbody or something. It's like it's clearly skinned him. It's like they skinned yes. him. It's like a yeah. skinned version of him, but it's actually the exoskeleton. That's brilliant. Yeah. Design yeah. wise, this is brilliant. Cinematography wise, and and a lot of the choices that Coppola makes, the the the, the train going down the hillside, and there's the the pages of the book. The fact that he did try to achieve it all with practical effects and things. Fucking yeah. great. That shot where the bat Gary Oldman kind of recedes into the dark and then you just see the two yeah. flashing eyes and then he turns into a pile of rats. I mean, not that that's yeah. done in real time, but it's done in a it's just so it, it it's fucking fun. That stuff is all really fun. And then the movie A gets incomprehensible to me <laughs> at one point and I just kind of can't follow it anymore. It doesn't it doesn't really have a story anymore. It does feel like movie made by committee. And I have a a big issue with how how sexist the whole thing is and how little agency any female character has in it. And it's very Madonna whore, you know, clear. It's like, you know, it's, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, uh, Lucy is just supposedly a, a virgin, but all she's, you know, just kind of it's like this is how women talk. They giggle and kiss in the rain. And one well, talks about ridiculous. hard cocks while yeah. the other. one, Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> now they're kissing. I, but what is the point of any of that? Except Francis Ford Coppola is an old sexual repression. No, that they, 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 there was so much sexual repression of these women with their corsets and tight and 
they're mm. reading, you know, the Arabian Nights. They're, re- you know, they're they're watching Aladdin and they're seeing yeah, how watching, the, uh, the other, <laughs> watching Aladdin, seeing how these darker people, you know, what they do. I don't <laughs> see that it has I, anything to do with the story, though. I really don't see what it has. What any I don't of know. Has I to do with I anything. sort of saw it. I don't, you know, whether or not you like it or not. I think that's maybe what they're going for. Was that it that made me laugh? This, this, I was the like, oh, feeling come on. of Dracula. Um, you know, let's. It gives you a, a freedom, you know, that there are these sexually repressed Victorian women and it's saying, no, you can be free. You can have fun. You can read about the Arabian Nights. You can. Boo. Yes. God, who are you? I know you. I have crossed oceans of time to find I see what you're saying. I do think Winona Ryder's care. I do think uh, uh, Mina did have some agency. She made the choices. She's the one who wanted to be. Now, I do agree with you that I feel like they could have built up their their connection better. They didn't have much chemistry. Their romance could have been made uh, more concrete in the beginning. You got that more from, from Oldman than you do just because he's got more lines in the beginning, I guess, that there's more to do. Mm. But I... I no, I did think she she did seem to be making her own choices well, and p- saying this is what the, I want to do. I want to go here with you. It, it's so tricky. I want this. to do this with you. It's so tricky. This because in he watching drags her into a room and he's like, just you know, I don't resist. Oh, yeah, basically, yeah, yes, that, I mean, that, come on. That scene did. Yeah, that scene did sort of startle me a little bit. Yeah. In all yes, of these versions that we've been talking about, one of the things that kind of gets really emphasized, especially in the Christopher Lee ones, and in the and uh, to a good degree in the in the Bell Lugosi one as well is that one of his powers is the power of hypnosis. You know, mm-hmm. he can hypnotize you with a look. Bella Lugosi does this amazing thing with his hand. You know what I mean? Where he's like, you know, and it's very cool. And and with with um, Christopher Lee, whenever he's doing it, his eyes turn bloodshot red. You know, um, in a lot of those versions. He says, Dooku. And so, <laughs> Dooku. And he. Uh, you know, it, it, you can, and they often go to ex- an extreme close-up of his eyes, and you, you can kind of take that two ways, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. as like, well, this is, this is sort of what what, um, and I again, I don't know how he, closely this hues to what Bram Stoker did in the novel, but you can kind of take it as, you know. The the this is the this is whoever is creating this version of this taking agency away from women actively and 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 you know and doing that as a as a uh, a, a subconscious thing that they're doing or consciously saying this is this is the f- fucked up thing about men <laughs> you know and saying that yeah. that in within within this mm-hmm. this is this is wrong and bad to be doing this <gasps> to to yeah. women to be to be in essence pa- taking the power away from them which is why i was moved shocked and surprised when the she she of her own accord not not you know um perhaps it's her one only truly a full agency action in the movie chops his damn head off. Can I tell you a story? I was like, wow, wow, wow. I had completely forgotten that that's how it ended. And I I was like, that's great. Chop everyone's head off. Now chop Anthony Hopkins's head off. Chop the rest of (laughs) them. Yeah. His head should have gone. That was not the ending of the movie until (laughs) there were disastrous test screenings. Disastrous. (gasps) 
Really? And and Francis Ford Coppola and the writer were going back and forth at each other about, I fucking hate my life. I hate this movie. I hate this cast. I hate this. I hate <laughs> this. It's a piece of shit. Francis Ford Coppola flew the 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 writer to um to the vineyard. Uh, to the vineyard, got him set up with some wine, had him do a screening, but he's like, You gotta tell me what the fuck's wrong with this. How are we gonna fix this? Yeah. Because it was woeful, woeful reactions. Oh god. In part, in part because at the end, she leaves Dracula there to die or whatever, or to just she doesn't cut the head off. Yeah, she she goes off with Keanu Reeves, and the audience boos. Nobody boos, likes boos. that. Nobody yeah. liked it. Nobody liked it. And so it's like, well, how are we no going to pay off with that? Gonna, right? How are we going to fix it? How are we going to fix it? And they were like, we're never going to get them back in the same room together. We're never going to get them back in the same room together. Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman hated each other from moment one and could barely stand to be in the same room together after the first week of filming. And I don't know why, but they hated each other. I heard that they got along and then something happened. And then like, yeah, Yeah, they they got along for the first week. And then from the second week on, they couldn't stand each other. (laughs) And and they said, the only way we're going to get her back is if she can cut her his head off. And that was what she came when she came back. She's like, I get to cut his head off. Great. And she came back and she filmed the scene where she cut his head off. And that was also, and George Lucas was the reason that ending is there because George Lucas watched it. You know, they show each other their movies, Coppola, Luke, all those guys um, (laughs) from those seventies, easy rider, raging bull guys. And they, uh, and he was like, well, you set up a rule that the head's got to be cut off and then you don't cut his head off. So his head needs to be cut off. There you have it. And they're like, how are we going to film that? It was going to cost him a 20. He's like, you got to do it. The audience needs to see his head get cut off or not. And it's just, sequel land and you know and dracula lives yeah. but but if you want that you know if you want to if if your point is he's got to be you want to finish him <laughs> that's what's got to happen yeah. and then the idea was well winona's got to do it and that's the only way she'll come back and wow. shoot well, a scene works. with gary oldman thank again. god they hated it each works. other because i agree with dan um, it's a i think it's a fucking great it ending. works like gangbusters if only lucas had had that that epiphany regarding jar jar this is very very bad we wouldn't be in this mess <laughs> right i watched this and i was like this should be this could be not should be the first half hour i found pretty delightful and yeah. i was just tickled by all the the visuals and the craziness of it and i was like it's crazy this this could be a young Frankenstein. This could be like the Dracula. <laughs> yeah, with there the could be. Turd, yeah. I mean, I know he did Dracula Dead and Loving It. That doesn't oh, count. No. He was, but if he did in the seventies, early eighties, like at the height of his powers, like a Mel Brooksian take on, like real, uh, because great. because Young Frankenstein's a beautiful movie. It looks great. Mm, it doesn't yeah. look shoddy or cheap. It's pretty. You know, it pretty wonderfully uh, emulates the thing that it's it's uh, it's parodying. Um, and we will be talking about that movie later in the year. Um, Ooh. But uh, in more detail, but I kept thinking, I was like, this could be, you know, this could be in this could be some crazy horror comedy because it does have this kind of crazy energy. This it's like kind of there. it's laugh out loud energy, yeah. like the thing, laugh out loud because it's so cool. Like the stuff like where the shadow just starts reaching out. I thought that stuff is great. We're dra- well, and I remember it. it's yeah. so well parodied on very the Simpsons. Sam Raimi. Where, oh, Simpsons yes, very do Sam Raimi. Great, but, do a but, great but, parody. Mr. Burns as Bramster yeah. Dracula. He's got the yo-yo. Shadow. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. It's, but it's really fun. It's very cool. And the yeah. fact that Keanu Reeves is so oblivious, this is probably what made me think of you and Frankenstein. It's like, he's earnest. He's oblivious. It's ridiculous. And it would work in a... <laughs> 
in, in a larger parody film, totally. like he's the straight man, like Carrie Elways as Jonathan Harker in a Mel Brooks. Uh, you, you know what I mean? That would be pretty yeah. fucking fantastic. Anyway. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, so uh, I, and, I, I, I thought that about Mistel it. as Van Helsing. Cool. <laughs> you really trust, excuse me. Do not join me. But I have already done. And I never think. Why? There's a there's an inherent comedic thing that if you can tap into it, you can get all of it. You can get the the shock and the horror and yeah. the fun and the scary and the and the funny and the romantic together. And this movie has funny moments, but it's more in the visual wit. I don't think anything is. And some of Gary Oldman stuff. Some of it's Gary very Oldman like, is. Yeah, Gary Oldman. Yeah, some of his lines Especially are a little Especially the beginning like, when he's the old version. Oh, yeah, he's completely having fun with it and, and getting into the comedy of it. And, and, and you I know, think if you had a better actor, you know, in those scenes, those scenes would have worked better. Like you the, know, the Harker scenes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Although you know, I think, yeah, maybe, but I also think, like I said, I think his obliviousness actually helped helped sell the story. It's like, it's like I can get it that this guy's a little, a little a dull, a little yeah. dim up here, and so he's and more again, taken by surprise by how that, crazy shit gets. That is what you also get out of many of the Harkers, people who play Harker in the various versions of this, is that he's sort of a dullard because it's the only way to no, justify he why he doesn't run he screaming does. from <laughs> Castle Dracula after five seconds of being in Castle Dracula as any one, he, rational human would oh do. God. They'd be like, I'm trapped in a horror movie, fucking bye, and they would leave. I have offended you with my ignorance. Um, and what you're talking about, Jason, is why movies like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein work so well is because with just a quarter turn. Yeah. The, and that's something Bella, Bella Lugosi knew. He knew that he was like, oh, yeah, this will be fun <laughs> you yeah, know, to take yeah. this and literally put the same character in a comedy. And he did that many that kind of thing, you know, uh, many times. I think this um, got to give okay. got to give um, some real credit here. To uh, Aiko or Eiko Ishioka, yes, yes, the costume designer for this. Yes, I meant to mention that name. Won the Oscar the, yeah. uh, for best costume design. Yes, it is sumptuous. It's gorgeous. It's, it's amazing, great. and it's uh, I can't get enough of looking at these. That's where the majority costumes. of the budget went. Apparently, I think so. Yeah. No, a couple of said he's like, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna keep it slim and trim. Yeah. And all the because he he said the actors are the jewels, so I want to dress them up. So the majority of the budget, from what I read, went all to the costumes. And you mm. can see that. You can see that. Yes. No. All that's, that's, through the movie. It's absolutely. It's beautiful. Um, I meant to mention her name gorgeous. at the beginning uh, yeah. along with those others. And I do think the music is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Sheila up? Yeah. Or Sheila down? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go slightly up. I'm going to give it a 6.5. I think it is a recommendable movie. I think people should see it. Um, I think there's a lot to like about it. 
And uh, I think there's a lot that's just <laughs> doesn't work, but I appreciate the big swings that Coppola and others like Anthony Hopkins and certainly Gary Oldman are taking. So 6.5. I'm, I'm going to go six because I was like, it was frustrating me a lot. And in the end, I actually found it kind of boring after a while because it got kind of incomprehensible and jumbled to me on top of all my other major issues with it. Uh, just as a story, it, it started to lose me. But I, I do think it is, I think it's recommendable for its, for all the crafts departments I, I from the music to the, yeah. the camera work to the art direction to the costumes to the special effects to all of that Feast stuff the senses it's yeah. really there's so much fucking fantastic fantastic stuff in it that like yeah. and i don't care that it if it's if it's sometimes it looks rinky dink and sometimes it looks incredible and sometimes it blows i the that's prismatic quality to it i yeah. like that and so that is not mm -hmm. an issue for me the the other issues are more baseline issues and uh and it really hurts it for me but i'm gonna go six because i it is it does tip into recommendable for me based on um how fucking batshit crazy and beautiful uh so much of it is visually and orally yeah i'm going eight I want to do 8.5. <gasps> then do 8.5. I want to go, I would go even higher for it weren't for Keanu Reeves. All right. I have offended you with my... Ex Shut up your face! And I do find it maybe like 10 minutes too long. You know, it does get a little, it gets a little lengthy at the end and a little confusing, but I just love what he's doing visually. I love the effects and I just think it's, I think it's, it's something you don't see. I, I, I commend him for... For what he tried to do, I just think it's like a, a visual feast for the eyes. It's I, I, I find it a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick with eight. Speaking Bra of something that's bound to be a feast for the eyes, I think <laughs> we've got something here in the mail sack. Gentlemen. Let me just <gasps> huzzah, huzzah. looking at the. Uh, let me just open it. Let me get it out of here. Oh, I haven't right, heard I'm that sound in so long. Was that I'm Dracula's wings <laughs> in bat form? Uh, that was the old Gary Oldman's Dracula sack flapping. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the, uh, the address here on the envelope, San Juan Island, off the coast. We know where that is. Um, off the coast of Washington State. Uh, the domain of Dr. Malo. This can only be one thing. Let me open up this thing. <gasps> you guys. It's a picture of. Oh, oh my God. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Twins. It's twins. <laughs> it's a boy and a girl. Oh, these two things are holding pink balloons and blue balloons. Oh, boy. Well, Jacob, Joseph, and Adam will be happy. They'll be happy. They'll <laughs> have two little friends. <laughs> oh, please welcome to the world. Oh, no. Richard Jr. And... Richardna. <laughs> he managed to name them both after himself. After him. oh, oh, Richard. Richard you've done it again. Richard Jr. and Richardna. Sheila does all the work. And then part Richard. quail, part, she did all that work. Part quail, part salmon, part murder hornet, part Lansky. <laughs> part <laughs> Lansky. All baby. 
Oh, oh and oh, and look here, you guys. Look, oh god, oh, no. I can't even. Are they? Is there any part of this that's human? Even the landscape. Can we give part? it just a quick, a, a little. Just yes, if someone's please. joining us for the first time, oh, no, just please to, yes. give us a quick, quick, please. I, no, I, I was going to ask you like an eight. Basically, oh. Richard Dreyfus and our number one super fan. Sheila, Sheila, who became a Sheila became a murder hornet. Right. Richard Dreyfus is now a quail salmon. That's right. They've married and they've had a child. That's, yeah, yeah. That's not um, uh, an animal you've not heard of before. That's part <laughs> quail, part salmon, part Richard Dreyfus, because yes. the infamous Doctor Merlot, not to be yes. confused with Doctor Moreau, not and at all. any of the copyright infringement that might ensue. Uh, Dr. Merlot, who's a drunken mad scientist, which makes it a, just a oh, tiny bit worse, even though he still sounds like Brando. Uh, he does lots of genetic experiments on on people, on movie stars we know, on fans of ours, on other people we know and love. Please continue. And they got married. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, in his quail salmon form, married yes. our super fan Sheila in her half murder hornet form. And then yes. they went off and had a beautiful honeymoon and consummated their fiendish union and made this. That's what you right. see in these pictures. These. These. Oh, these. these. This. Yes. These. these. Them. Oh. oh, and look at. Oh, and they. And that was a very, both, both of you combined, that was a very good uh, summation. Oh, thank and if you're you. interested, and why wouldn't you be? Go back to episodes through <laughs> and figure out, if you can, the saga of Sheila. My friend um, in the show that I just, I was just did, uh, my friend Drew, he said, he started with the Star Wars episode last week. He was like, oh, it's great. He loved it. I said, I'm so glad you're listening. I said, please listen in order because things right. are going to stop making it. sense to you at some point <laughs> if you jump around uh, and that's okay. Or just, or jump around and just know that there's going to be sections where yeah. we're not talking about the movies proper and you will not know what's happening or who anyone is. And you'll want to, you'll want to stop the podcast, but don't Yeah, yeah. many rewards yeah. await you. Yeah. Many, <laughs> many. Well, it's so funny on this, on this, uh, we did forget to mention one thing. They were married by Al Pacino. Now, the the uh, you, if you look real closely at the picture, you guys, you can see they've put in little little like word bubbles, like little thought balloons, you know, oh, above yeah, the baby's yeah. heads. And this one here, you can see it says uh, above Richard Jr.'s head. It says you ain't never had a blend like me because <laughs> oh, no. he's a blend of many different creatures. <laughs> and above Richardna's head. Richard Roof of Richardna's head is a thought balloon that says a whole ew world. So they seem to be acknowledging. The they know what they're dealing with. Yeah. That, what the, that it's really not. Uh, it's, Can we tell? Because uh, I can't see. It's hard to see the pictures from yeah. here. Can we tell what uh, sort of animal DNA or like what, what are they looking like? What did it come out like? Are they more what's dominant? Are they yeah, more what's, quail? What's dominant? Salmon? Um, Dreyfus, what, what, what <laughs> Krippendorf, <laughs> they kind of look like blintzes, and that's why it says at the bottom here, Blintz Ali, even though none of them is named Ali. This is a reach, what I'm doing here. This all goes beyond the paywall. That's a reach around. The only, <laughs> that's the only way they can do it. Uh, uh, they're registered at Panera for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I don't know if these babies only eat broccoli cheese soup. They look like they're made <laughs> they of like broccoli, broccoli cheese, cheese soup. soup. <laughs> they look like the various soups and focaccias. 
God bless him. Mazel wow. tov, Richard. Mazel wow. tov, Sheila. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's beautiful. You know, that's, um, five stars. Five stars all around. Yes. Five, please, please go to uh, uh, listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, although I think those are the only places you can get our podcast. And uh, yes, arrow.com, possibly. And, yes. Sponsorship. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and oh, yeah, no. and please, uh, if you if you uh, if you're so inclined, write a little review. Uh, give us give us five stars if you're rating the the first hour 15 minutes of the of the podcast you know i don't know what you would give this but uh give give a, a panera gift card i don't know if you can do that on <laughs> itunes but uh but we you, will yeah, you take picked it. two they picked two, you picked two, two babies. <laughs> <laughs> they registered at panera because of the you pick two special <laughs> oh my god that's pretty great. That's pretty great. It's great. It's on theme. They're always thinking. They're always. I, Richard should have been a party planner, actually, because he's always, he's always yeah. got. There's always a there's a whimsical glint in what's left of his eye. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, what do we well, got next time, Charlie. All the, all the best to those crazy kids. All um, the best to them. Join us next time on opening weekend as we celebrate the launch of the holiday season. We'll be back in a couple of weeks and uh, we are going to be revisiting Bill Murray and Karen Allen in 1988's Scrooged, directed by Richard Donner. And then we are also going to share our top 10 favorite holiday films. We're going to do another countdown special for the holidays. Uh, That's next time. On opening weekend. That sound good to you, boys? Oh, it sounds great. Sounds fantastic. So what you got for us, Dan? I think we got to do a little whole new world, right? We got to do oh, a little that's of that beautiful. to take us out. Because for, for Richard Jr. and Richardna, it's a whole new world. <laughs> oh, God. And we're celebrating them today. That's well true. That's beautiful. The music of the movie Aladdin. Don't you dare close your palms. Yeah. But please do. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. That Thank was you. really, really gorgeous. And you, gentlemen. culturally sensitive. I can't speak. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Thank you.